Hello. Good morning. How are you all doing? Good. So we are in this series called Normal because for a year we were held captive in a sense by this pandemic, right? And so what we had come to know as normal suddenly changed drastically. And so as we emerge from the pandemic, what on earth does normal look like in this post-pandemic world? And so today we're going to talk about what does a normal schedule look like? Right, And so how can we establish a healthy rhythm of life so that we run our schedules rather than our schedules running us? Because that can very easily happen, right? So pre-pandemic, as we know, as far as our schedules go, things had already become very different than they were a generation ago. As I thought about this, there are at least two significant impactors to schedule that have changed in my lifetime, which I think that we'd all go, yeah, I can attest to that. The first thing is that there are not as many times that our culture holds sacred as there were before, okay? So if you have kids in sports or other activities, you know what I'm talking about, right? When I was in high school, I don't remember ever having a basketball or a track or cross-country practice on a Sunday or even a Saturday. Sometimes we'd have meets and things, but for the most part, Saturday was left alone. Today, Sunday is just another day, right? There is no day or time that's off limits if your kids want to play sports at a high level. And I've picked up my kids, even when they were like 10 or 11 years old, from practice at like 11 p.m. Because that's when it was scheduled, on a school night. And you're like, holy cow, right? And I know that it's this way for many professionals, too, that if we don't guard our schedules, we could, we could work around the clock. Because there aren't those necessarily those cultural guardrails anymore that protect certain days generally more than others. So the first thing is there are not as many times our cultural holds sacred. The second that everybody, of course, is so obvious is technology, right? Especially smartphone technology because it has drastically increased the number of activities that are available to me in any given moment, right? Uh, when I was in high school, rich people had car phones. Do you remember this era, right? Rich people... Like my friend, my friend's dad, Mr. Vitt, I can remember riding around in his Range Rover and he's making calls, business calls on his car phone. And I was like, man, this guy is next level. You know, like he's like the only one I know that can do this. He's, he's got it. He's so rich, you know. And now I can't think of an adult. You know, it's hard to find adults that don't have a smartphone, at least in this area of where we live. And what that means is, on your schedule, it may say, trip to the dentist. But while you sit in the waiting room, you're shopping for groceries online, maybe you're watching the news, and oh, an email just from, came through from my boss, so I think I'm going to check it and respond. Back in the day, you couldn't get work messages until you got to work. So technology has blurred the lines in our schedules. And of course, with COVID, things just got weirder, schedule-wise, Right? The lines became even more blurred because now my home is my workspace, is my kid's school, is my gym, is my doctor's office, right? And so my kids are playing Legos during my online conference while I'm clipping my nails in my kitchen, right? It's, it's just, it's, it just became so weird. And now, post-pandemic, as we expected, things aren't just going back to the way they were before. A single guy that I talked to recently said that Pre-pandemic, he, he has a job where he spends a lot of time in front of the computer most of his time, and, and so he would go to the office to do that and interact with other people while he did his computer work. Well, of course, during the pandemic, they said, just do your work from home. Post-pandemic, what are they saying? 
This is kind of work in the home thing. His boss is saying, why don't you stay there? It costs the business less to do that. So home and work are still combined for him, and that creates interesting things when we talk about schedule, interesting decisions and questions. So this trend of more options and blurry schedules and time demands probably are just going to continue to increase. It's probably not going to decrease with time. And Matthew Sleeth, who wrote a book, I love this book he wrote, it's called 24-6. In fact, if you are interested in the things we're sort of talking about in this message today, uh, and you want to read a follow-up book, 24-6 is a great book to read. He says, he writes this, we cannot turn back the hand of time. Our 24-7 world is not going to change. Life will only get more intense. New communication techniques, nanotechnology, and human engineering will increase the number of tasks an individual can do simultaneously. And we will look back with nostalgia at the 24-7 world once these advances make 48-7 a reality. If we wish to have a weekly day of rest, it will no longer happen as a societal default. It will happen only as a result of a conscious choice. And I would say the same is true of time with God, time with our spouse, and time for other things. How many would attest that that's true? Yeah? An important principle to keep in mind is this. Every time we say yes to something, we say no to something else. Okay? Even if that thing we're saying yes to is scrolling Instagram, and even if that thing we're saying no to is staring at the wall, which which, by the way, I think is a very underrated activity. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm sort of weird in that way. But, um, but every time, that's true. Every time we say yes to something, we say no to something else. So post-pandemic, for those of us who are saying, I want to follow Jesus, what is God's normal? What, what, is God, what is kingdom of God normal? And how do I determine what to say yes and no to so that I'm saying yes to God's priorities, to God's normal, and not just allowing my schedule to be filled up with whatever else is coming my way and allowing God's priorities to leak out of my schedule. Okay? So what I hope to give you today is, is a sort of filter that could help us be intentional with what we say yes and no to so that you can order your life and schedule to reflect God's normal. Okay? And to do that, we're going to look back at a period in the Israelites' history where God had to establish a new normal for them. Because they were coming out of a period of time where they were held captive by something. And it was actually a bit more significant even. The pandemic was a significant thing. But for the Israelites, they were coming out of a period of actual slavery. And this is the period of time that we're going to look at that follows the time, if you were here last week, that Levi talked about when he talked about normal family last week. Okay? Uh, Levi talked about how God led the family of Israel into Egypt for a period of time to save them from this famine that had come. And God had raised up one of Israel's sons, Joseph, to be at a, in a prominent place in Egypt because of this wisdom and revelation that God gave him. And because of that prominent place he had, Israel's family was able to come to Egypt and be cared for during, the pan, during that, I was going to say pandemic, during... <laughs> During, during the famine. And so they were actually able to be quite comfortable during that time. They were, they, their family grew and multiplied and they became very numerous. And then that pharaoh died. That king of Egypt died. And a new pharaoh rose to power. And the new pharaoh didn't know anything about the privileged relationship 
that the Israelites had had with that former Pharaoh. And he said, who are these people? They're very numerous. They're not us. They're foreigners. They could rise up and attack us. Let's oppress them. So they enslaved the Israelites. And the Israelites were enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. Long, long time. Finally, God said, I am now going to deliver my people out of Egypt and I am going to take them into the land that I promised them once they had become very numerous and they're going to begin to fulfill the destiny that I've called them to, which is to become a light to all nations. Through Israel would come Jesus. Ultimately, that was the ultimate fulfillment, okay? But so God says, I'm going to leave them out of Egypt. So he raises up this guy named Moses who goes to Egypt and he says to Pharaoh, hey, God says you need to let his people go. And Pharaoh's like, I'm not gonna do that. And so Moses is like, okay, so God sends all this stuff Egypt's way that wasn't very fun for Egypt until finally Pharaoh goes, okay, get out of here, I can't stand it anymore. And Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt and into the desert on their way eventually to the promised land. Now I just skipped over a huge bunch of the story, okay? Uh, so if, if you want to read more about that, read the first several chapters of Exodus and, or watch The Prince of Egypt or both, Okay. <laughs> Really great part, but the part I want to focus on is the part that they got into the desert, because this is where, holy cow, they've had this rhythm of slavery for 400 years. They don't know what that's, what's going to be, they don't know how to live other than that. And now they're in this desert, and there's hundreds of thousands of them, and they're milling about, and they have no idea what to do. All they know is they need to trust God and listen to Moses. And so God says, this is a perfect time for me to establish a new rhythm of life one that reflects my priorities. And we, we pick this up in Exodus 16. I'm going to share bits of that passage and I'd encourage you to read it later, okay? God wanted to establish a new rhythm for them and part of it involved the seven-day week based on the account of his creation of the world, okay, that they would adopt a seven-day week to reflect God's priorities, okay? And this is something that I, I learned in recent years. In Egypt... They had a 10-day week, which I don't know if you can imagine. Can you imagine what it would be like? Let's think about the reverse. Can you imagine what it would be like to go from a 7-day week to a 10-day week and how weird that would be? Has anybody ever gone to, like, Europe and you had to start thinking in kilometers? It's just like, this isn't right. You just want to convert everything. And that was, had to have been how it may have felt to the Israelites. They went from a 10-day week, bricks, 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 sweat, 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 sun, 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 every day, to God saying, I am going to change you over to a seven-day week, and one of your days is going to be no work. And this is how he did it. He did it through food. Because what are the hundreds of thousands of peoples milling about in the desert? What's one of their most burning questions? What are we going to eat? And of course, that's what they're grumbling about and complaining. And God heard their cry, and he said, I will provide for you food. This is how I'm going to do it. He said to Moses, tell the Israelites every day to get up in the morning and when the dew clears, there's going to be bread from heaven spread across the ground. This bread, it was like, wasn't like loaves. It was these wafers of kind of, kind of like crispy wafers, honey tasting, nutritious wafery bread things that they could get up and gather enough. They were to get up and gather enough for themselves and for everyone in their tent enough for just that day. God said, collect just enough for, for your family for this day and the people in your tent this day. Don't save any. 
overnight because it will go bad. I will give you more tomorrow. Of course, some of the Israelites still tried to hoard it and get up, and God said, I told you not to do that. Don't do it. And they said, okay. So they stopped doing that, but they learned to obey and trust God. He said, do that every day, except on day six, gather twice as much food as you need for today and tomorrow, because tomorrow is going to be a day off. I don't want you to get up and do anything to gather. It's going to be a day of rest for you. Well, of course, some of the Israelites still got up and were like, where's the food? And God's like, I didn't put any on the ground. I told you not to do that. Why aren't you listening to me? But again, they learned to trust and obey God in this way. And in this way, and there are so many lessons that we can learn from what God did for the Israelites at that time. One thing I would love to talk about this morning that we won't have time for is this idea of that seventh day Sabbath rest. Man, it would be great. We don't have space to talk about, again, I'd say read 24-6 if you're interested in reading about that. But what I want to focus on today is the priorities that God was teaching his people during this time. Because he was teaching them a new order with new priorities. And this is the order he was teaching them. One, God is first. Okay? He says, trust me every day that I'm going to provide, know that I'm with you, and obey me. Gather when I say and don't when I don't. And follow me when I say follow. Your family is next. Your spouse and children. Let me provide, or let my provision spill over to them. Remember, he said, gather for you and for your tent. You're prioritizing your family and those in your tent. Third is your current callings. This is what specifically I am giving you Israelites in this time to do, which right now is just to wander around the desert and follow me. Eventually, eventually it will be to go into the promised land and become the people that I am making you. And you'll become a light to all nations. Fourth, which we don't see here in this passage very clearly, but we see it other places, is comes everything else. Job, school, etc. Okay? So I would suggest that the order of priority that we find here and that we find all throughout Scripture of our relationships in our lives, according to God, God's normal is this. God is first. If I'm married or have kids, my spouse and kids are second. Third is our current callings as Christ followers. And fourth is job school and everything else. This is what I would say that his priorities for us are. Now let's talk about that a little bit. I'm sure that you have questions, okay? Let's talk about this. So for us who have said yes to Jesus, we've entered a relationship with Jesus by saying, Jesus, I believe that you died to pay for my sin, and I believe that you rose from the dead. Be king of my life. What we enter into is a God-first relationship. God is our first priority. How do we put God first? Abide and obey. Abide and obey. Okay? Abide means to seek God relationally, to seek a relationship with God, to dwell with him. The Israelites, each day they got up and received fresh bread from heaven. They were connecting with God in that way. That was a picture of Christ. What did Jesus call himself later on? He said, I'm the bread of life. Come to me for life. Seek me. And so we can seek God and go to him every day in scripture, in prayer, in worship, in journaling, in any other way that we can think of to connect with God on a relational level. In doing that, we find our identity in him and not in what we do. I know for me, I had to establish this rhythm. A number of years ago, I decided that I was going to try to make my time with God in the morning. I'd get up in the morning and spend time with God. But in recent, like, months, 
I, I'm getting up and like I'm getting out my phone and like Facebook, calendar, Google feed, and pretty soon a half hour's gone by and I'm like, dude, where did this time go? And so I made a commitment to my group. The first thing I'm gonna do when I wake up is go to God just because I wanna prioritize that time. And the reason I share that is because it's amazing how bad I am at it because it's still so easy, so habit-forming to go there. And I'm not saying it has to be the first thing you do. That was just something that I picked, but is it first priority? The second way we put God first is through obedience, is by doing what he says to do, okay? Israelites were told to, to trust God by doing what he said. The way that we tell Jesus we love him is to keep his commands, okay? Next, the second priority is, is if you are married or have children and or have children, our spouse and our kids is the second. And I would put them in that order. Not because our spouse is more important than our kids, but because I believe that we as the parents need to be the ones that form the culture of our home. Okay? That out of that comes the overflow to our kids. That when we're solid, it forms a healthy uh, structure for our kids. When we let our kids dictate the culture of our homes, I think it can lead to some, some problems. That's a whole other conversation. But, okay, uh, the third thing is current callings. So what God gives you to do as a member of his family in the body of Christ, has God put in your heart to work with addicts or to be a coach of kids or to have your neighbors for dinner regularly? Okay, what, what is that thing? And if you don't know then there are already a whole bunch of things he said in scripture that we can do every day. Love your neighbor, right? Do good to other Christ followers. Take care of those who are less fortunate. Make disciples if you know how to do that, okay? Those are all current callings. And then comes job, school, and other responsibilities. Now, some of these things sometimes can get, can blend, right? Like maybe part of my job is a current calling that I have. These aren't like hard and fast lines. I'll talk about that again in a second. But what we do see is there is, a, is an order in scripture. When you look, for example, at the apostle Paul's life, his profession was he was a tent maker, but his current calling was God said, go far away, to faraway places and tell people about Jesus. So he would go to faraway places and get a job there as a tent maker, right? So his calling took priority as much as, as, much as it could, okay? Now, let me say something. If you are single here, now, you may be at a place where you're like, I don't want to be single. I'd really rather be married. And that's great. Go for it. Pray about it. Pursue. There's nothing. I mean, that, that is such a blessing to, to have that. But also, what I would say is this. There is a blessing in being single as well. What Scripture says is that when you're single, you're in a season, at least for now, where your interests, that your focus does not have to be divided between God and another and your spouse. So you could view this period of time, this season, maybe it's not going to last forever, as a time to really lean into what is God saying? How am I going to respond to what God is saying? Uh, you heard from a young lady, if you were here a few weeks ago, named Claire Brown. Anybody remember Claire? If you weren't here, it's okay, you can go back and watch that message. But Claire is a young lady who lives in Africa and by the way, I'm setting a, I know that I'm using a really high bar example here for single people. I am not suggesting that if you're single, you're, everybody's called to move to Africa and raise a bunch of chickens, okay? I'm not, don't hear this, I don't think. But this is the case with Claire. Claire has 1,500 chickens on her farm where she also farms uh, vegetables to, 
to gather food from eggs and vegetables to, to feed over a thousand children each week who otherwise would not have food. She's employing numerous women in this business who otherwise would, in a business where she otherwise would not be employed of, of creating and building, making these stuffed animals. She's gone to this dump and shared the gospel and there's these women in these dumps that now know Jesus. She's helped get water in a village nearby that didn't have clean water before. I mean, there's so many things. And Claire would say, yeah, I would love to be married someday, but for this season, I'm going to go all out and seek what God has. And that's what she's doing. Because she's like, man, if I had a husband, I'd have to give some of my time to him, and I don't, I don't want to do that yet. <laughs> right? I'm, I may have paraphrased that for Claire as a joke. She... <laughs> I think she would love to do it. Anyway, I'm going to get myself in a hole. Anyway, okay, so this seems to be the order of priority that God is establishing with the Israelites in the desert and in other parts of Scripture. God, spouse, current spouse and kids, current callings, and other responsibilities, okay? There are certainly things that can overlap, and the lines that separate certainly aren't crisp, okay? So, for example, this may be a season where you need to work extra in order to provide for your family. So part of putting your family first means I, I just got to work a lot right now because we've got a lot going on. And if you have young kids, oh man, God bless you because it's so hard. I mean, your life is car seats and diapers and no sleep. And if you've got like three under three, gosh, it's so hard. So if you're looking at current callings and going, I can't even, I can't even sleep, right? Just, it's okay. There's grace. We know that that part of your life is probably pretty lean right now. Focus where you need to focus. But so in general, though, this is the order of priority we see in this passage and other places in Scripture. And we can look at this order as sort of a filter, okay? And we have a picture of a filter that's going to come up here in a second. We can ask ourselves, what order has become normal for me? If I could say, which, what's your order right now? What order has become normal for me and what can I say yes and no to in order to move closer to God's normal, which looks like this, okay? Randy and Rhonda Cummins, family that, that go here, and um, great couple. And what they've learned to say yes to in recent years is downtime with God and one another. They lead a ministry called Strands of Compassion. Uh, their current calling is helping young ladies who have aged out of foster care get on their feet and fill in some of those gaps for them, help them find jobs in some cases, just get basic skills for life. They've housed numerous girls over the years. They also teach trauma care to people, other people who are struggling with kids that have experienced significant trauma. On top of that, Randy has a full-time job as an engineer where he gets employed various times a month to different places to fix various systems problems. So, so they have a lot going on. And with everything they're doing, with how tough ministry is, Randy says that downtime with God and one another is just so essential. So for them, date night is not something that happens if nothing else is going on. They put it on their schedule. Because it used to be like, man, we don't spend enough time together because Randy's job. Well, now they're like, we know that we're busy, but date night is coming. And because we get to do this, it feels like a blessing. So this week I talked to Randy and he said, date night this week, we're going to a Sticks concert together. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Later in the summer, it's Hall and Oates. Uh, and 
Randy got his Jeep fixed recently because they love going out together just even for an hour or two and just being together riding with the top down. And they love to drive out to Houston Woods and spend a little time there. They love to go down to Florida a couple, Florida a couple times a year to spend time there. It's become so key, that time of seeking God and spending time together. And what Randy said is because we do that, we're able to view our calling less and less as this grindy obligation and more and more as a calling because it opens that flow of God's grace to us. Isn't that awesome? Another story I heard uh, recently was, was with a guy named Rob Bales. Some of you guys know Rob. Uh, Rob is, was the men's group leader on Wednesday evenings for a long time. And that could be a pretty demanding thing as he was pouring into other men. And if you know Rob, man, he is passionate about seeing men's hearts restored and healed in Christ. But recently, Rob felt like in this next season that God was leading him to step back from that for a period, maybe for, maybe for a long time, maybe forever, I don't know, but to focus more on this to spend time, more time building into his spouse and kids. And I love that he made that decision because what that shows is that he does not find his identity in what he does for God. His identity is in Christ. And he says, okay, God, it's time to enter this new season. And what he's discovered is that his time with his wife and kids has just grown. And in particular, one thing he shared was that before when you know, he and his wife would each pray, but rarely did they ever do it together. Now they're praying together, and it's more of a partnership. And, and they often will spend 10 minutes each morning praying for 10 minutes together for the things that are coming that day. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Now that all sounds great. Right? I mean, this all sounds great, right? Um, but you may be like, Ryan, yeah, but you don't know my job. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. I, I probably don't. This may look like impossible, okay? I was actually talking to a friend of mine last night named Mike, and Mike is a, he's an orthopedic surgeon, and he was talking about his time when he was in surgical residency. And he's like, Ryan, we were talking about this, he's like, Ryan, I don't, how, would, how could I have done this? He said, I worked 110 hours a week, and I had to, or I wouldn't have been able to be a surgeon. So how could I have done this? And I think that is a great question. That's the question we need to ask if we're in a phase of life like that. How do I do this, God? Because this isn't black or white. Sometimes we go through seasons that feel different. If this was black and white, and you're supposed to spend more time with God than you do at your job, or you're not doing it right, or something like that, no one could ever follow Jesus and be a surgeon. And that doesn't make any sense. So I asked Mike, if the version of you now could talk to the version of you that was just getting ready to enter surgical residency, what would you tell him in order to help this stay in an order that looked like this for that season? And this is what he said. He didn't even really hesitate. He would said, I'd go home each night. I'd have dinner with my wife for at least a half hour, whatever it was, and I would put my phone and my books and my study materials aside, and I would just focus on that time with her till after dinner. I said, I'm going to share that tomorrow. <laughs> because, yeah, what does that look like? Because the question is, in this season, how do I adjust my life to reflect this order as best I can? 
It's not always that I spend more time doing the things at the top. It may mean I incorporate God into the other things I'm doing and invite him in. But it means seeing to the health of these relationships on top first so that the grace of one spills over into the next. Okay? So when you're considering an opportunity that comes your way, be it a new job opportunity or a few minutes to scroll on Instagram or whatever it may be, you could take a look at this and allow that opportunity to pass through this thing as a filter and ask the question, will this get me closer to living as God's normal? And if it doesn't and I still want to do it, is there something else that I could say yes or no to that would help me get there? Will it bump something out of place, right? If it would, could I say yes to something else that would help me get there? Because God wants us to know if we will live this way, we can navigate the craziness of this culture and we can trust him that he will provide just like he did with the Israelites. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. We pray that as people go forth from here, as we go forth, that you would help us, if this looks crazy or hard, to invite you into the conversation and say, God, how do I do this? Help us learn to say what to say yes and no to in each moment. Thank you that you love us so much. In Jesus' name, amen.